Hey everybody, welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I want to give you a trigger warning about this episode with Jennifer Blackburn. Her family is a victim of gun violence twice over. Her husband was murdered and her oldest son's girlfriend took her own life with a gun. I want you to know that I thought long and hard about this episode and about how I wanted to edit it. And I've left really strong language that Jennifer uses about both of those deaths in this episode. I didn't want to change her language and I didn't want to soften her experience by editing out words, even though they're pretty provocative. So just be aware as you're listening that the language in here is Jennifer's and it's her experience. We have a lot to learn from her. Her story is one of resilience and survival, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Jarvis, and I have an incredibly special and dear-to-me guest here with me today. Jennifer, will you introduce yourself to um, my listeners, tell them how we know each other, and then we'll get into the world of grief and loss. I love it. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Jennifer Blackburn and I am all things fitness. So Megan and I met at Equinox Mm -hmm. at our first ever Equinox training camp. We called it ETC. Oh man. It was a small group. And I feel like some of us are kind of still lingering on together, right? Yes. So yeah, and I don't even know how many years ago that was. A lot of years ago, like probably seven. I mean, I dragged Gail, our mutual love. So for those of you who follow me on Instagram, Gail is the person who came with me to Bali and she came with me to Portugal and she, I saw her in the UK and she still trains, thank God for Zoom. She still trains with Jennifer now because you're still doing all things fitness. But I think, I honestly think it was seven years ago. Yeah, at least, at least, yeah. That was the last time I could do like a three-minute wall sit. (laughs) (laughs) I won a water bottle. I was so proud of myself. There were like big, they were like athletic. We were running up and down those stairs. I mean, part of that gym that we weren't using at like 5.30 in the morning. And I just remember one time I came in first and you were like, yeah, you won this water bottle. (laughs) I still have that water bottle. I, it's like my Emmy. Okay. I do not let my children. They're like, that's mom's Equinox water bottle. She won that. Right. That yes. is a prized possession. That so, will go. so could you just, you know, the question I usually ask people is how do you find yourself in the world of grief and loss? What brings you here? And, you know, sort of what is your understanding of that part of our life cycle? That's funny because I don't think that part of our life cycle is discussed enough. Yes. And uh, now that I'm almost 50, it's funny because thinking back to like when you were raised and I was raised with my grandparents. So I don't know if it was like a little different, but if somebody died, it was like a, oh my God, they died, you know, like a whisper and like, you know, nobody ever really talked about it. And it was like, shh. So I don't think grieving was a part of that essential conversation with whoever it was that you were being raised by. And it's funny because I now have five kids, but when I only had three, the two of my boys were in a small private Catholic church school here in Bethesda. 
and it was really, really small. And one of the little girls had cancer and died. And I remember telling my boys like, okay, we're going to get up. You're going to put your Sunday clothes on and we're going to the funeral. And every other parent did not bring their child. It was like one of those moments where you're sitting there as a mom and you're like, did I just do the wrong thing or did I do the best thing? And, and all the moms were like, I can't believe you brought your children. And, and I was like, this is like a part of their life. Like they have to learn the process. Like, yes, this is a very unfortunate, tragic, sad, horrible thing. I think the little girl at the time was maybe like seven or eight. She was really young, but I'm like, these things happen. And we don't always die when we're 90. Like, yeah, that would be great if everyone we knew died at 90 and they lived this amazing life. And then they just fell asleep and never woke up. But unfortunately that's not the life that we live in. And, and we sat down on the pew and we whispered and they asked questions and they went up and they paid their respects to the casket and, and the life that was lost. And then they hugged the mother who lost their child. And then we sat there and we prayed and we went through the service and then we drove to the funeral burial and the whole thing. And then afterwards we talked about it and I'm like, we need to have these conversations with our children. It's super important and it helps them learn the grieving process and resilience. Like, how do we get through this? And, you know, since then we've lost a lot of people in, and before this journey, yeah. they lost their father. So I don't know if I would have made that decision, maybe if they didn't lose their father, but I absolutely positively think it's a conversation that shouldn't be held like, you know, underneath your breath. We don't talk about this at the dinner table kind of thing. You know, you and I are about the same age and my listeners know that when I was eight, there was a significant death in my life of a teenager. And, you know, I feel differently talking about it now than I did maybe 20 years ago when I first started to understand that it was so formative in my understanding of what, whether the world was a safe place, whether grownups could take care of you, because by not talking about it, I was left with just sort of like a sense of believing that the world was randomly chaotic and that nobody was really safe. Yeah. And I feel differently about it now because I'm older than the grownups who were navigating that at that time. And so now I feel like, oh my God, those poor freaking grownups with all those kids around who felt guilty that they weren't able to save this teenager, you know, all kinds of things. But I also think back then in 1983, there really was more of a belief that we keep bad things from kids, that we talk about that in hushed voices in other rooms, even though, you know, I I have a master's degree in child study and like, we kind of knew better even way back then. The knowledge in child study and child psychology hadn't really like met up with what we knew in in sort of the pop culture of things. I feel like to some degree, we're kind of in that now, which is the field of trauma, which is what I'm trained in. And you know this, we understand that if we do not manage to take our emotional experiences, which by the way, are just electrical currents that we assign meaning to in our bodies. If we are not able to address them, understand them and move them through our bodies, they will get stuck inside us 
and make us sick and give us pain. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you and I both have some lower back garbage that goes on and oh, right. stress, hormonal imbalances, you know, sleep, insomnia, weight gain, weight loss, everything. It's like completely wrecking havoc on our systems. You know, it's funny because growing up now that I think back on it too, like the word therapy was yeah. also like a big, like you were like, oh, those people are super screwed up. Crazy. They're going to therapy. Yeah, like, crazy ooh, people. I don't want you going to their house because that mom is in therapy, yeah. you know? And now I feel like everyone should have a therapist, right? right? It's like part of your routine. Like, oh, I'm going to the gym. I got my workout girl and I got my, my therapist. Yeah. Tell me how, tell me how movement and exercise and, and feel free to talk about this however you want, because obviously other people haven't been in your classes and, yeah. and maybe don't know exactly what, what your style is, but tell me sort of your belief system, because you have an incredibly caring and also firm, encouraging you know, when I wasn't coming to classes, you were checking in on me. There's an emotional component in there. Yeah. Tell me about what you see with your clients who are fluctuating in weight, fluctuating in energy, fluctuating, maybe even just during this period of time in COVID. Yeah, I feel like there has to be that component of acceptance, right? Like, why does everyone have to have the perfect body or the perfect workout schedule or the perfect fitness routine? And, and I also think, you know, now that fitness has evolved and, the, and it's funny because they're doing all this research on the upcoming fitness trends and they're talking about this competition and I'm like anti-competition. I'm like, we have so much freaking competition, like stop with the goddamn competition, right? Like we don't need more stress. We don't need more anxiety. It's like a constant chaotic rat circle of competition. And now the, in, the fitness industry is going to make billions of more dollars because people want to win. We're going to win. We're going to win, you know? And I'm like, people are already super stressed out. They've, their mental health has, you know, de depleted. And why can't they just work out and move however they can and feel good about that? Like, uh Whatever happened to that? Like, Hey, I went for a 20 minute walk, literally at a level one. And I feel amazing. That should be acceptable. What's really interesting. I think when you're somebody who's been athletic over time is that aging, right? The, the element of aging, which is included in the concept of grief and loss means that your fitness changes over time. And I'm not saying that you can't still run a half marathon when you're 90, but for most people, and again, when I, when I've been in your classes, you will say, you know, like, don't jump if you don't want to jump or, you know, here's an adaptation for your shoulders. But I think, I think the parallel for me in, in grief and loss is that we do not do anyone any favors when we act as if everything is as it was. Right. So I've been fascinated. So I've gained a bunch of weight in both menopause and in, I think the grief cycle of the past five years, which I feel very forgiving about, right? Like I'm not, I didn't, it's not meth, not that I would even be judgmental about drugs, but like, <laughs> this is where I'm at. But it's not really an option for me to go jump on a treadmill and run six miles, which I could probably make my body do because I used to be a runner and I can, you know, the impact of that is so terrible. And so what's been interesting is to talk to doctors and talk to fitness experts 
who are talking about the responsibility is to your system as it is right now. Not may you used to like to be or not, but, but what your body needs right now. And I feel like there's such a parallel with grief and loss because, you know, when people are grieving in fresh grief, it is so physical. Oh my gosh. It's like the most exhaust. It's like worse than a marathon. You're like, I think I just ran six marathons and I actually haven't moved all day. Like the brain power it takes just to function. And I don't know. It's funny because I I feel like I was, I don't, I never talk about this with my kids, but I talk about this with like my girlfriends. Like, so my husband was murdered in 2008, went to Safeway to buy rotisserie chicken. My kids had the flu and I'm not like a worrywart mom. Like if they get the flu or fever, I'm like, Oh, suck it up. You'll be fine. (laughs) But this fever wouldn't break. And I was like, you need to go to Safeway. I'm out of Advil. They, they need to get the fever down. And then he went to Safeway and he never came home. And I always think to myself, is the grieving different if it were like cancer and it was drawn out? Is the grieving different because one day he was there and then five seconds later, somebody shot him five times in the chest? I don't know that answer. I I don't know if it, if it is different, obviously I would never say that to my kids, like, oh, would you feel better if your dad slowly passed away? But I I don't feel, you know, I, I don't know if that also, that type of stress is different. It's funny because I, I I think about all the people we had at Equinox and I remember very vividly, there was like a class at 930 in the morning and this woman came in whose husband I know had brain cancer Mm -hmm. and he had died the day before And there was another woman directly across, almost completely parallel to her, who had a tattoo on her wrist. And I remember asking her after that class, I kind of knew the woman who her husband had brain cancer. So I kind of knew her story. But the woman that was parallel to her, she had this butterfly on her wrist. And I, after class, I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful tattoo. So pretty, can I ask you what it means? And she's like, my sister committed suicide a couple months ago. And I got this butterfly in remembrance of her. And I was thinking, God, there's these three women in this room at a complete triangle. I'm in the center. She's over here and she's over here. And that just gave me chills. And it's crazy how even in like, you know, your perfect neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. And everyone's got these beautiful houses and they drive up in these nice cars. And the extreme of grief between these three people in the world of fitness. And it's funny because this woman whose husband died of brain cancer, I remember she walked in the door and she was like, don't talk to me. I'm just here because I need something else to think about. And I, that kind of stuck with me because I remember when Jason was killed, I was like, I, I don't think I really worked out like crazy, but I worked like crazy because I was like, my brain needs somewhere to go because if I let it go where it wants to go, I cannot promise that I will be able to wake up in the morning and raise my children. Yeah. A hundred percent. God, you said a million things and I had chills the entire time. And I have an image of the studio that you're talking about and what the people look like, right? In the, in that Equinox is a, is a pricey gym and people come in and they're fancy people, but we're all human, right? And, and the notion 
that we aren't all going to have a trauma or experience profound loss. I mean, we'll all be a griever one day. That's a hundred percent guarantee. So I, I have that image of just sort of the, the energetic thread and that what you're describing both when Jason died for you and with this woman where it's like, I, I need to do something. Yeah. I need to do something. The people who love you need to do something that, that again, it's about the mammoth amount of energy that suddenly like lands inside your system that is gonna, you know, maybe take you down if you can't figure it out. I always, I always imagine it's like a watermelon, like in, like in dirty dancing, like you're carrying this and you don't have to carry it like this, but you have to figure out how to turn it into like a smoothie or something more manageable. And there's an incredible neuroscientist who I interviewed a while back, whose name is Mary Frances O'Connor. And she wrote this book called The Grieving Brain. And she answers that question you just asked, which is, is it different if you have someone dying slowly of cancer or a sudden death? And my dad did die slowly of cancer over a year. And then my mom died suddenly in her sleep. One, we're participating in, we know it's happening. So it's the difference between knowing a tornado is coming and finding yourself in the middle of a tornado. And so one activates your brain with all this fear, this little part of the back of your brain lights up and suddenly, you know, you can't think straight and you, cause you didn't see this coming and your body responds to it like it would a bear. Yes. And you have to learn the world again, that when you are tethered to someone they make your world make sense because they are a compass point. They're North. And then suddenly North isn't on the compass anymore. And you have to, yeah. you have, and so you have to learn all the things and it could be as everything as simple as how do I go to bed at night? How do I brush my teeth to super complicated things? Like how do I pay bills? Yeah. And you know, who's going to be the man in these children's lives? Like, And because in two years, I sort of had both experiences. What I would say is I don't think one is better than the other. Right. Right. Like I think, I think your body responds differently to the two. And I think there are pros and cons to both of them, but certainly traumatic loss is more like getting hit by a car. Car. Yep. Your body responds with all of exactly what you're describing. Like all of these, which I would say are caretaking aspects, you know, like one of the things the brain does, which I think is amazing. This little part of the brain, it lights up, it enlarges and it cuts the oxygen off to the rest of the parts of your brain in the hopes that you're not going to formulate traumatic memories. It's trying to scramble your head so that you don't have to remember all of this. So you don't relive it. Now, what happens is, is it sends, you know, weird signals. So like you have weird, like, why do I remember eating that chicken pot pie that night? Like it wasn't significant. So people will say to me when they're grieving, like, Megan, I have this weird ass memory and I don't know why. And generally what I say to them is like, it was misdelivered mail. The chicken pot pie is actually not that relevant. It's your brain sort of trying to protect you. But also, you know, you have this experience of looking back and and a lot of things don't make sense because you weren't clearly thinking. You weren't able to think clearly during that time. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of that when Jason was killed. Like, I think I like instantly went into fight or flight mode. And it's it's crazy because now that I when Jason was killed, we were actually in the middle of separating. 
Oh my God. Yeah. So we separated in November and he was murdered six weeks later. So was it a random murder or was it with my oldest son's godfather? Oh God, Jen. Yeah. So then I had to go to a murder trial because he turned himself in. And then my father-in-law, Jason's dad, tried to have me sued for murder for hire. And I was like, wait, what? Like, so at the time I was like homeless. I had two kids. I had no, I have no family here. So I've got the three kids and he's like suing me for murder for hire. I can't pay my bills. Like, so I, it's funny because I trained this woman who's like, she might be like a psychotherapist or something like that. And she sat me down in her house and she did all these things to my brain. And she was oh, like, yeah, she's like, you are completely shut off. There is nothing happening. You are like brain dead. And I'm like, she goes, you are going to crash and burn. You have got to process. And I was like, I can't process anything right now because if I stop someone or something is going down. Right. Right. So it was, it's funny because when you have grief, then, then I have, you have all these other things like, you know, family comes out of the woodwork and then it talks about money and then there comes greed. And then there's like nasty rumors. And then Jason showed up on the front page of the Washington post. And I was like, Oh my God. And then the picture was like, Jennifer Blackburn drives a new Range Rover. And I was like, what? I don't have a, like, what are these, what is happening? And then people were writing horrible things on the internet. Like she had an affair and they're like loaded. And I was like, come to my house. Like I'm living in a studio apartment. What are you people talking? It was insane, insane. The public element of that is adding like trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And what I'm thinking about is this was certainly my experience when my mom died. And it is the experience of so many of my clients that like, you know, your North drops out of your compass and you feel really self-conscious about like, I don't know who I am right now. I can't really have people looking at me. Like I'm a, I'm a little naked mole rat. Like I'm so exposed And so what I want to do is a little bit go and hide until I get my bearings. I can't imagine what it must have been like to have your name trolled and dragged and pictures and accusations. I I mean, that just the the trauma on top of the trauma on top of the trauma sounds bonkers. How long was it before? Because I do think there are really well-meaning people, maybe not, maybe trauma trained, maybe not grief informed who are like, you need to process this. And I totally appreciate that. And sometimes it's our neighbor who's like, you're doing your grief completely wrong. What I know as somebody who specializes in this is that there's so much fucking wisdom inside your body about when it is safe and when it is okay to take on the process. And so when, you know, if it's 10 years later, it's 10 years later. Yeah. If it takes 18 months for you to feel a thing, that is so not uncommon. And and one of the frustrating things in our field is that, you know, people want to be able to get treatment and they want to be able to get paid for those treatments. And so we're putting these like definitions like, well, it, it should take a year or it should. And in reality, that just is not the case, particularly when the loss is traumatic, like you're describing, your body can go into deep freeze and you can just be a mom raising your kids. 
I was like I, a mummy. I was like, okay. Did. Yeah. And I, I remember Jason was killed on Friday and his funeral was on Tuesday. My mom flew in who's handicapped and fell off the fucking airplane. Oh my God. She broke her hips. Oh my God. And was in the hospital. And my dad called me and I was at the funeral home picking out a casket. And he was like, I have bad news. And I was like, what, I mean, what other what news? Could there be dad? Yeah. I was like, I'm in the funeral home. So what's, what's going on? Your mom fell. She broke her hips and we don't have health insurance. Oh my God. And I was like, okay, now what? They're going to do emergency surgery. She should be out. And then I'm going to wheelchair her basically to the funeral. I'm like, this is, I can't even. And now, meanwhile, my kids, my kids still have the flu, right? So they're 103 fever. I'm going back and forth to urgent care. We can't figure out what's wrong with them. They're puking everywhere. I'm picking out a casket. My father-in-law thinks I killed Jason. There's police at my door, like a CSI. They like clear off your coffee table and open up their file folder. And they're like, do you know this person? And you're just like, wait, what? Like I, it was like five days of just being a zombie. It was like, like I wasn't even inside my own body. And then I don't really get along with my mom very well. And my dad was like, I have even worse news. And I was like, oh, he's like, your mom can't fly and she's going to have to move in with you. So you're going to have to take care of her for eight weeks. And I'm like, okay, well, how, I don't know how that's going to happen because I can barely take care. I can barely shower. I like, I'm doing everything I can. And, and I'm broke. I, my father-in-law has taken all my money, closed the bank accounts, seized my house. The, the other family members are in the law enforcement world. So the house was locked. I had no car. I walked to the rent-a-car place and rented a car. It was such a disaster. So thank God I had amazing clients who rallied up. And at the time we didn't have like GoFundMe, but they were able to raise like $25,000. And I was able to get an apartment and pay for preschool. And so Jason was buried on Tuesday and on Wednesday, I went back to work. And I'm sure that is not a healthy, but I didn't know what to do. I was like, I mean, you know, when you're surviving, yeah. You have to survive when you're surviving. And again, you know, I think, I think there's traumatic loss and sudden loss. I think what you're describing is well beyond even average traumatic, you know, somebody gets hit by a car and we didn't see that coming. I mean, you're talking about law enforcement, you know, other things that they themselves are triggering and traumatizing. So how long would you say before you were able to like be in the feelings of it. How did you ever get there? Oh my gosh, this is so bad. This is crazy. So Jason died in February, 2008. The murder trial was in November of 2009. So I thought it would be smart to date someone that was as tumultuous as possible. Sure. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. yeah. Why deal with anything when you can just have a huge deflector to not help. Listen, I mean, trauma therapists would tell you that that is smart. I mean, it's not healing, 
but it's a really good way to protect yourself from other feelings. Yeah. To protect yourself over, you know, people buy houses that yeah. don't have floors or windows so that they don't have to think about their husband dying. You know, they're, they yeah. have a project that's going to take up all their time and all their money and give them lots of things to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. So I dated a horrible person and worked my butt off. The boys would wake up with me at four in the morning. They would get in the car and we would drive to next level in Bethesda off river road. Yeah. And I would go to the dollar menu at McDonald's. I would put a blanket over the back seat. So I didn't get arrested for having my kids in the back seat. And they would sit in the parking lot at next level, watch the little DVD movies under the blanket. I would train people at next level and then at seven, once I was done training, I would sneak them in, let them shower in there. And then I would take them to school every day for probably two years. It was insane. It was insane. When you, t- when you tell that story. So one thing that I'm tracking and I want to say to people who are listening is that it's really important to be able to have agency over your traumatic narrative. I can see that you're telling the story without it, like dragging you back into the mud of the experience. Right. And so that's the difference between when trauma is regulated, when you can talk about it without it, you know, pulling you back into the muck. Yeah. When you, when you do that thing where we look back and we say like, wow, that's the thing I came from. That's what I went through. What happens for you? Do you look at that and say with like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for myself that that happened. Do you look at that and say, I'm stronger than any other person? Do you look at that and say, God, where were the people that were supposed to help me? Like what, when you reflect back, what does that look like for you? When I reflect back, I'm really angry at Jason's parents that they have no relationship with the kids. That like keeps me up at night. It just makes me so disturbingly angry. As far as like myself, I almost feel like it's, my life has been so tragic because that was just one story that it's, it's almost like embarrassing if that makes sense. You know, people will, it'll come out in conversation or something like that. And then they're just like, oh my God. And then they kind of like change the subject, I think, because it's like, it's kind of like a 2020 episode, right? And you're just like, that shit really happened. and. That is fascinating to me because, you know, the, the big thing that I'm always on a soapbox about is how, how damaging the awkwardness around grief and losses, Yeah, right? It's damaging that people cannot go close and say anything genuine. Right. Instead, what they do is what you're describing, which is like they wince and they're like, okay, let's change the subject. And then it's like, oh, like you're left with, which is sort of, it's what happens in childhood trauma. What you're left with is whatever interpretation your system wants to give you. And yours is, oh, this is an embarrassing story that people don't want to see. They would rather think of me as, you know, a celebrity trainer. Like they would rather it be all polished. But meanwhile, when I first met you, Gail knew you better and, and you were pregnant with your fifth child. I think when I met you. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe four. Maybe your fourth. It might've been your fourth child. It was like, and you were doing push-ups. With a, be- with a baby belly that was smaller than my actual belly. And I was like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? And Gail was like, she's our age. And I was like, what is happening right now? I don't understand. And 
I didn't know this story about you until I had known you for five or six years. Yeah. So, so what I think about is the way in which this culture has said, there are things that we do not talk about that we cannot talk about that end up leaving you holding the bag around this is not something people want to know or care about me. It makes them uncomfortable instead of my experience, which was like this woman, you were a badass for being pregnant and doing pushups in my mind. Right. But to understand what you came from and where you are and to not have that be some kind of movie swell story of resilience and that to me seems like a goddamn shame. Yeah. Right. It is, it is super frustrating. It's funny because, you know, right now I, I lost my job and I'm not working. And I think to myself, there has to be a greater purpose. Like I did not go through all this shit for no reason at all. Right. And then Jason died in 2008. Let's see. It's 2022 in 2018. I was on my way to Equinox at six in the morning and my oldest son, his girlfriend blew her head off. Oh my God. And I remember it was in March and she was just at my house in December. She was holding Brooklyn and they had dated for years. And if she were sitting right here, you'd be like, oh my God, she's the nicest, most beautiful, most put together, gorgeous, blonde hair, blue eyed, so smart college girl. And to take a gun at that age, at any age for, you know, a woman, it's like unheard of. And to put it in your mouth and blow your head off in your car outside of your boyfriend's house after you got in a fight, like the day, that was like a whole different damaging experience. And the extreme hatred I have for gun violence is like out of this fucking world. Like we call that reaction formation, which is like, that's what happens when there is something that causes so much emotional strife in your world. You, you know, you don't have control other than to say, you know, almost like a, almost like an abused puppy, like if I, but again, you just reference something, which is like, we have to believe and, and when, just so people know this, you lost your job because your gym closed, not yeah. because of, you know, because yeah. COVID and, and that was so tragic. I didn't see that coming because you guys managed all through the pandemic and then right. we were sort of opening up and alive again. And, and then your cute little gym didn't make it, but, but the, I think that thing, and I've been talking a lot about this on my Instagram account is like this idea of like, when we go through something bad, we really need it to mean something, right? Like it can't just be something bad. And, and actually in trauma work, that's when, when something happens to you, that's awful. And it only ends up having a meaning of being awful. That's kind of where we start to get the definition of trauma, which means like my life is less than worse and overwhelmed by the bad thing. And so when we're resilient people and when we're strivers and achievers, we want to be able to look back and say, well, what came from that negative experience? Right. But what you are describing is, I would say, statistically a not average experience with really bad things 
happening. Yeah. What do you do with like when this stuff comes up, which it might, because we're talking about it now is, is exercise a form of shifting energy for you? Do you sing, dance, overeat, get drunk? Like what are your tools? You clean. I don't know, like exec- <laughs> didn't know this about you come over to my house whenever you want I am like an obsessive compulsive cleaner and then so if I like have this enormous amount of oh my god I feel it flooding like you know like a a tsunami I'm like okay what closet needs to be organized because I am on it That's a high functioning level of mechanism. And I like that a lot. I mean, I often ask people questions about the container store that they think I'm joking, but really what I'm asking is, you know, when you feel helpless and hopeless and chaotic inside your body, do you lean into that? And then like, we have an existential crisis and, you know, you, you, I don't know, spend all your money and don't get out of bed. Or do you fight against it a bit and go with it and try to organize your world by getting yeah. oh, definitely. containers to put your earrings in? Right. And I think because I grew up in like a rough childhood as well, I'm always going to be, I'm never going to go to like smoke a joint or go grab a bottle of wine or overeat or, and, and to be honest with you, I, I never overwork out just so we're clear ever, right. ever. I'm never the person that's like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. Let me go run 10 miles. That is not me. And it might be because that's my job. And why the hell would I want to like, why would I want to do more? Yeah. Like screw that. So I do something that no one else is around and I can kind of like create my own chaos and then bring it all together in one organized neat pile. I love this. No one actually has ever answered the question with cleaning. So I'm really appreciative because I know that there are going to be some listeners who are like, oh my God, she said what it is. And I'm also really aware that I have to let you go in a minute, but I, but I do. I've got like seven minutes. We're good. Oh, do we? I thought yeah. we had four, I thought it was 420. Like five minutes away. It's fine. Okay. 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 So what is the, I do want to ask you just sort of like the mom part, like you describe this beautiful, hard moment of making a decision and maybe even not realizing that it was going to be different than the rest of the community that you're in to sort of share with your kids, because of course you will, because they've already had the whole childhood bubble burst about whether or not tragic things happen. What's the legacy with your crew now in terms of talking about that? Do you guys bring it up? Do you, you know, do you honor Jason at holidays or on his birthday? Do you like, where does it land? It's it's a really tough, this is going to be brutally honest, but it's really tough because his dad was uh, violent and we were separating. So it came up in the courtroom, like Jason pushed me down the stairs and it was like a domestic violence situation. So now you also have that angle of the grief. Like, do you you feel guilty? Do you know, I should have been like the whole thing, you know, like maybe I never should have left. And, but I always tell the boys, I'm like, not that I ever would want anything bad to happen to anybody. That is not like my goal ever, but his background is more of like a a volatile background from where they come from. And I almost feel like I hate that whole bullshit. Like everything happens for a reason. Bullshit. Yeah. I can't stand that shit, but, or they're like, Oh, how are you? And you're like, 
how am I? And what the hell kind of question is that? I always hated that. Like at the funeral, like, how are you doing? How am I doing? What the hell? But I feel like the boys have, I'm sure there's like some genetic disposition in anger management and violence and, you know, all that. I don't know, like how that works chemically in the brain, but I almost feel like they have less of a tendency to have that in their body because of what happened. And their grandfather was also like that. He was very violent and domineering and my way or the highway. And they've had no relationship with their grandfather. So it's funny because Nicholas is getting ready to go to college and he's like, even though I miss my dad and I wish I had a dad, I'm super thankful that I was raised by a badass bitch like you. Oh, God. Super resilient and works her ass off. Mm. So I get what you're saying. And I, and I appreciate the frank honesty of it, which is it's unbelievably tragic that Jason died. Nobody's wishing that we would do anything to go back and, and have that not be the case, but also on a, and on account of that, your kids were not exposed to whatever that nature would have been with between him and you or him and himself and him and his father, that, that whatever that, that edge of violence that you were trying to separate yourself from, there was a natural separation. And I think, I think actually anybody who's grieving would tell you that, I mean, you know, the, the story, the elements of the story might be less traumatic, but my siblings and I, my five siblings and I talk all the time about how, like, obviously we wish my dad hadn't died. Obviously we wish my mother hadn't died, but oh my God, are we thankful that we didn't have to navigate either of those two lunatics during COVID because they made very bad decisions about just like whether or not they should, you know, go to a hotel during a blizzard. So the, you know, it's not difficult for me to imagine you know, cause that where they lived was kind of rural and they they didn't have a generator and they'd have no heat. And my mom would <laughs> my feet with no fat on her bones. Like she'd be like, I'll be fine. I'm going to put on this old down jacket and I'll wait until the, so the fact that they, that we didn't have to navigate them or worry about them in a hospital that we did get to have funerals. I think that's true. I think there's some truth to it. And it may be a little bit that edge of the things where we want to look back and say, not everything that came out of this experience is only tragic. There are elements here, which is your kids got you. Yeah. Your kids got you and you have a new partner. Yes. Yes. So your kids got a different constellation of a family, including more siblings. Yeah. Which wouldn't have happened, right? Or, you know, would have happened in a different format. Exactly. And so again, you know, I'm I'm not a big believer in that everything happens for a reason. I hate that. And I also don't love sunshiny bullshit. You know, I have people on the podcast who are like, no, 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 I've been traumatized by this. I will stay traumatized by this. Yeah. You know, my life was going this way and now it goes this way. Yeah. Um, And I think that's true of really deep and profound loss. But I also, you know, I also think that the truth of the matter is that when we continue to live, there are things that we live into that we wouldn't have otherwise I mean, I say this all the time. Absolutely. I would never have written any kind of books. Well, yeah, that's a podcast. If my mother was alive, because my mother would have not spoken to me. Right. If I was, you know, talking about her like this, she would have been like you as my child are dead to me. It's over. Right. But this, you know, this is the movement and the thing that I do to help me 
with my grief and loss. And I love it. It helped me. Listen, you are a total inspiration. Just for the people who don't know, I asked Jen to do this like 12 hours ago. She was like, I can do it in between this hour and this hour. I, Cause you've been on my, on my long list of people, because again, I know your story and I know what your life looks like. And I do often, you know, if I'm on like a public transportation or on a train or something, I kind of look and I'm like, I wonder what tragedy because yeah. tragedy is actually part of life. I look at people and I'm like, you look like your life is put together, but I wonder, I wonder what the thing is, right? Like the thing, I, thing. Just by looking at you. Yeah. Um, and this has just been really an incredibly powerful conversation. Well, so thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, my dear. 